Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries podcast. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. All right, so as Isaac said, we're going through the book of Philippians. Um, so this, the next three weeks, we're on like a mini-series, and it's called uh, Linking Arms, and it's about um, the unity of the body. So this week, I'll be talking about Philippians 1, 12 through 26, which focuses on Paul's selfless service for the gospel. And then next week um, is Philippians 1, 27 through 30, the church is called to be selfless. And then the final week of this mini-series is going to be the unity modeled in the Trinity. So that's just a picture of where we're going in the next few weeks, and tonight is the first night of this mini-series. Um, in Philippians. So um, if you could all bow your head and pray with me before we start. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you for this time that we just get to dig in your word um, and see what you have to say to us. I pray that it would go deep into our hearts and um, as we leave this room tonight that we would be changed and that we would let this word affect us into our everyday lives. In your wonderful name, amen. All right, so we're going to read this passage, Philippians 1, 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice." For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the face. Faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So that's a lot. So we're going to break down those into five sections. So the first section we're going to be going through is 12 through 14. So all of these 14 verses reveal Paul's deep determination and priority for the spread of the gospel. So verses 12 through 14, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So these verses show that Paul is confident even though he was a victim. So when you think of Paul, the first words that might come to mind are an evangelist, a missionary, a man of God, someone who's brilliant. And I'm sure you could all think of other descriptors of Paul. And I'm sure none of us would really think of the word victim. But throughout the New Testament, we see that Paul was a victim on numerous occasions. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but instead he ended up going as a prisoner. He could have written an entire letter on his illegal arrest in the temple in Jerusalem. His trials, how he was beaten up many times, how he was often in danger of death. Five times he was given 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. And three times he was shipwrecked. Paul lived with danger, experiencing many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst and without food. But in verse 12, we see that he summarizes all of those experiences in a few words, a single line that says, what has happened to me? What we, we see that Paul refuses to play the victim. He's not angry about his imprisonment. Um, he's not wallowing in self-pity over his circumstances. The church might think that Paul is re has uh, regressed because he's stuck in prison. Um, he can't really spread the gospel. At least that's what the church thinks at this time. But Paul sees that there is progress being made. Yeah, he can't go anywhere to preach the gospel because he's in prison. His circumstances have radically changed. Yet, the gospel is still being spread in a different way. He tells these Christians of Philippi that God has turned his imprisonment for good. His suffering has been the way God has been able to advance the gospel. So in verses 13 and 14, we see Paul describe two ways the gospel has been advanced. First, the gospel has been spread to the imperial guard, the whole imperial guard as we see in verse 13. So the gospel was being advanced amongst Rome, Rome's imperial regiment of soldiers. So these were, people were known as, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, the Praetorian Guard. And the Apostle Paul was under house arrest. Um, he lived in his own rented quarters, which you can see in Acts 28. But he was constantly chained to, chained to the wrist of a soldier 24 hours a day. These Roman soldiers changed shifts every six hours. So that's four soldiers a day attached to Paul, this talkative preacher. They heard him praying, studying scripture, listening to him witnessing, observed him interviewing and talking to Christians that came to visit him. So it's not really a surprise that these Roman soldiers were becoming saved and they were becoming followers of Christ. But these soldiers were not just um, soldiers. They were part of the imperial guard, and these are those who served directly under the command of the emperor. These men most, would have most likely never heard the gospel. If the apostle Paul had been consumed by his circumstances and played the victim um, and wallowed in that he was stuck in a house and he couldn't go out and preach like he wanted to, these people would have never been saved but he allowed God to use his suffering and hardships for the advancement of the gospel. 
So the second way Paul describes that the gospel is being advanced in verse 14, um, the gospel has given courage to the Christians. Paul declares in verse 14 that believers are becoming confident to proclaim the gospel. It says, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. These people are becoming confident because they've seen that Paul is the one in prison. So that kind of, when I first read this, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Like, how are they being confident because Paul is in prison? Well, if you think about it, Paul was confident enough and had enough boldness to step out and was willing to preach the gospel even though he knew it meant all of these things I listed before, being beaten, being whipped, and being put into prison. And the believers seeing that, they're like, wow, if Paul can do that, then maybe I can do that too. So Paul's faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to the Lord allowed others to step out and be bold in their faith. His confidence spread to others sharing the gospel. So if we move on in the passage to verses 15 through 18, we see that Paul is joyful in spite of others. Paul describes this situation in verses 15 through 18. Um, He gives three examples of what's happening here. So some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and I rejoice. So here's three examples of what is happening. So example number one, some are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Example number two, some are preaching from selfish ambition. And example three, some are even preaching thinking that what they are doing is going to afflict Paul. Sadly, these people are trying to hurt the apostle Paul by what they are doing. But Paul will not be discouraged or put off by these individuals. He turns their negative words and actions into a positive. The apostle Paul rejoices because Christ is proclaimed. It takes a big man to respond the way Paul did. I know for me in the past when people have said untrue things about me behind my back or hurtful things about me, my immediate response was to do the same thing and talk bad about them. Imagine the strife and division that would have occurred in the early church if Paul had done that, what we quickly do and turn our backs on those who say unkind things about us. We should note here that Paul is not talking about those who are teaching a false gospel. Um, These enemies that he's talking about are fellow Christians. They believe in the same Savior, sharing the same message, the same gospel. But they do so with impure motives and out of selfish ambition. But Paul didn't care. All he cared about was the message that they were sharing, not who was delivering the message. So going on to verses 19 through 20, we see that Paul is hopeful regardless of uncertainties. Paul says in verse, let me read it real quick. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. 
Paul says in verse 19 that he is able to rejoice in suffering because he knows that it will turn out for his deliverance. The Apostle Paul expected his court case to end in victory. Now, why did he expect it to end in victory? He had this attitude because he believed in the prayers of God's people and he found comfort as he depended upon the Lord. In verse 20, um, all that he knows is that Christ will be honored in his body. As it says, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether he lives or whether he dies, Christ will be exalted through Paul. The Apostle Paul, um, this, uh, uh, Paul is referencing um, verses in Job. So I'm going to read those to you. It's Job chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. And Job says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless person would dare come before him. When Job says these words, he is speaking about his spiritual salvation, not his physical salvation. This makes what Paul is saying way more powerful. Paul's faith will be vindicated no matter how his trial turns out. Whether they sentence him to death, he, there's still going to be glory to God, no matter what happens. He knows that through the prayers of these Christians and through the strength that comes from the spirit of Jesus Christ, he is prepared for either his physical freedom or to face death. The Apostle Paul has complete faith and courage that whatever the outcome, Christ will be honored, whether by him being granted freedom or by him experiencing execution. We see Paul have the same attitude in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. It says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul is way more concerned what the Lord thinks about him than what people think about him. He is more concerned of one day he's going to have to stand in front of the Lord. That's, that's what really matters to Paul. Um, if we go on to verses 21 through 23, we see that Paul is content because Christ was central. So uh, those verses, I'm going to read those for you. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So you've likely heard, if you've been in the church for a while, verses 20, verse 21 quoted many times, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, the Living Bible translates translates this verse to, for to me, living means opportunities for Christ, and dying, well, that's better still. That verse perfectly illustrates what was the apostles Paul, what Paul's attitude was towards life. He was content because Christ was central. As Christians, we need the same focus, to prioritize, to have the same attitude. Um, I want to read you guys a quote by Charles Swindle. It says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. 
It is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than success, than whatever anyone might say or do. It is more important than appearances, talent, or skill. The remarkable thing is that we have the choice to create the attitude we have for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the way people act. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can change, the only thing we have control over is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what actually happens to us and 90% how we react to it. The Apostle Paul had one desire, one focus, one priority, and it was to spread the gospel, and that shaped his entire, entire attitude for life and for living. No matter what happened to him, his focus and attitude was always the same, that Christ would be honored through him. And notice that he expresses that focus. He says, if life goes on, if I continue to live, then I live for Christ. If that means dying, then so be it. I will die so that Christ is honored. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die, that is even better. The Apostle Paul lived in light of eternity. He made decisions based on the big picture, eternity. I know for me, I tend to live for the temporal, the here and now, what's going on. I don't always have my eyes set on the eternal impact that I could be making or am making. But I'm much more concerned with my temporal problems and circumstances and what's in my view right in this moment instead of the future and what God wants to do through me and through spreading the gospel. For me to live is Christ, which means we need to make Christ as our focus, our goal, our priority. Christ needs to become the center point of our mind, our heart, our body, and our souls. In his life, Paul knew his priority, his goal, it was Christ. It was for his kingdom, not ours, his desires, not ours, and that God's desires were paramount over our own desires. If the needs of heaven are number one priority, all our earthly needs will automatically fall into proper perspective. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things that we so often live for. Jesus said, put God first, and if you need the other things, then God will give them to you. So make kingdom first, not ours. So make his way dominant, not ours. If the needs of heaven, heaven are number one, all our earthly needs will fall into proper perspective. So our final verses are Philippians 24 through 26. It says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. As I said earlier, Paul believes that he will remain that he will be able to help those in Philippi continue in their walk with Christ and help them spread the gospel. In verse 26, he also states that if he is able to be released from prison, it provides them with another thing to honor and give God glory for. 
So what does this mean to us today? How can we apply this to our lives? All of these verses show the steadfastness of Paul and his dedication to the gospel despite every trial and every circumstance he faces. I think in the American church as a whole, we've lost a priority for spreading the gospel. We're so consumed with what is God doing in my own life? What is God speaking to me? Um, or what spiritual experience I'm, and I'm going to have this Sunday or this Wednesday that we've lost sight of our greatest call to love God and love others. And if we truly love those in our classrooms and our families and strangers we meet on the street, what greater gift can we give them than that of the gospel? We can give them clothes, food, shelter, water, which all are important things to survive, but Christ is what truly sustains us. We see this in Paul's life as he's locked in prison and people are treating him with disdain and disrespect. The crazy thing about all this is Paul is unfazed by what these people are saying by him, about him. All that matters to him is that the gospel is being spread. I pray that for all of us, for you and for me, in our everyday, our utmost priority would be loving God through telling his people about him. And for you, that might mean you lose a few friends who don't want to hear about anything, anything about God or what a biblical life surrendered to God looks like. It might mean some groups at your school look at you with disdain and may treat you unkindly. There are also probably a lot of other Christians at your school that are just as scared as you to talk about God in your classrooms or in your hallways. But just as we see with Paul, your confidence can encourage the confidence of others. So if you're willing to step out in your classrooms and tell someone about Christ, those other Christians in your schools might be like, oh, if they did that, I can do that too. And so then you see people all across your school sharing the gospel because you had the boldness like Paul did to step out and continue the spread of the gospel. So now we're going to go into our time of prayer. So if you could all stand up and spread out. Um, as we go into this time of prayer, I'm going to let you guys get there first. So as we go into this time of prayer, I encourage you to pray for bold faith to spread the gospel despite the circumstances it may put you in. Pray that the Lord would give you boldness to step out in confidence and share his love. And that other Christians at your school would find the same confidence too. So these are things you can pray for during this time. For boldness, boldness not only for yourself but fellow Christians at your school. Um, and that you would be bold despite the circumstances that you're faced with. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at ecchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.